Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're glad everyone has joined, has joined us today. We've been away a whole week. Actually, this is two weeks now since we've been here. We were not here last week. We're welcoming everybody. If you're coming in on the Zoom app, uh, you know what to do there. We want to have your uh, hear from you with your comments and questions. Go ahead and quick, uh, click on the Q&A button and have that window open and just type away any comments or questions you have. If you want to come in using your audio, just click on the hand icon and let us know you wanted to ask us, ask us a question uh, using audio. And if you're coming in through the Facebook, we are coming in, I think, on uh, Scott Smeltzer's Facebook page today. And uh, even though Scott's not with us, and neither is Jeff, and so we have Stephen. Stephen, hi, how you doing? Doing well, Drew. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. And we also have Jonathan. Jonathan, glad you're here with us today. Hey, good to see you guys today. Everybody was off last week, taking a vac. No, was not a vacation, was it? It was at camps doing work, and uh, it's good to have you all back. So, Stephen, where are we going today? Where are we going to jump into? Well, we're going to start in John 21 and, and use kind of a principle from this text to talk about uh, some different challenges we face. Uh, look at John 21, and this is the very end of John's gospel. And there's two kind of interesting stories here right at the end. Um, you'll remember that Jesus has this conversation with Peter at the end uh, where he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these three times? And Peter says, you know, I love you. Um, and we remember that Peter had denied Jesus three times. And so it's kind of an interesting connection in this gospel with that. But right after that, he has this other conversation with Peter. So let's pick up reading in John 21 in uh, verses 18 and 19. And um, Jonathan, would you mind reading that for us? Starting in verse 18. Mm -hmm. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Okay. So Peter gives or Jesus rather gives Peter kind of some bad news here after saying, Hey, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Um, he then says, you know, when you're young, you, you can kind of do the things you want, but when you're old, they're going to stretch out your hands. They're going to carry you where you don't want to go. And John makes a note. This is talking about the kind of death by which he's going to glorify God. And according to tradition, um, it's not in scripture, but according to tradition, Peter would go on to be crucified upside down. Um, so that, that would fit with what we see here in John. But the idea here is that Peter's going to glorify God by dying for the faith. And he says to Peter, follow me um, after saying that. So here's what's interesting to me is Peter. I mean, if you had just gotten news about like kind of how you're going to die, that it's going to be very tough. Uh, I wouldn't be feeling super great at that moment. Um, but notice what happens next. Look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it who is going to, that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? I just think this is really interesting to think about Peter in this moment. Is he's just gotten this bad news about his future suffering. And the first thing he notices 
is, well, there's John, the beloved uh, apostle, or the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he asked Jesus, what about this guy? <laughs> and I suspect that what Peter has in mind there is, well, with what kind of death is he going to glorify you? you know? and, and so he's immediately trying to compare himself to John and think about, well, if I'm going to suffer like this, what's he going to have to go through? Um, and this is a danger, I think, for all of us, is when we're suffering or in lots of different things, we can kind of open up the discussion to different topics, but there's a danger of comparing ourselves with other people. But notice what Jesus says to Peter right after that. Um, in verse 22, Jesus said to him, that is to Peter, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And that's a powerful response that Peter needed to hear and that we all need to hear when we start to compare ourselves with other people. What's that to you? That, that, what my plan is for John might be different from my plan for you. If I want him to remain till I come, that doesn't concern you. <laughs> you follow me. That's your mission, Peter. You stick to following Jesus. So, so I want to kind of open it up to talk about uh, some different ways in which um, we might struggle with comparison. And we can talk about this. I have four ideas, but if you guys have more, we can talk about that too. First is we'll talk about what hap what's happening here is when we compare our suffering and how dangerous that is. The second is kind of the flip side of that coin when we start to compare our blessings. Um, then we'll talk about on a spiritual level, comparing our spirituality among Christians and the danger that that is, and then finally comparing ourselves to the world and what a danger that is. So that's kind of the roadmap for our discussion today, a conversation. But let's just talk for a minute about comparing our suffering uh, to other people. What, what are some dangers that we face when we start to think, oh, well, like they're going through something, and but I'm going through something even harder, you know, and I think that's probably what Peter would have been feeling here is that's tough, you know. Is, is John going to have to face something similar? So what, what are some dangers of that mentality? Compare, you know, when we do compare, comparing ourselves with other people is something that comes so easily and naturally to begin with, what, regardless of what it is that we're comparing ourselves with. And it's always about self. We're, we're, we're concerned about ourselves. We're like you're talking about what if it's something that is a disease or something that's we're going to die or something like that. We say, well, that's not fair. Someone else is not feeling that. And I, and I think that back to what you were saying, Peter, the way Jesus answered Peter, you know, that's, Jesus says it right, right straight to the point. And that, that would have been hard for a lot of people to say, what difference is it to you how, what I, what's going to happen to him? That's pretty straight. And that's the way the Lord is. And I guess that's why a lot of people aren't following him. <laughs> but Peter didn't leave him, and Peter took the answer. Now, I, didn't want, I was probably interrupting you on where you were going with that, but I, I, I'm identifying what you're saying. We just compare ourselves, and that's a hard thing to overcome. Yeah, and it ends up being so self-focused. And here's the thing that I think is interesting is when we start to compare our suffering like Peter was doing here, oh, I have to deal with all of these difficulties, but that guy over there, he's had it so easy. Here's the thing. We don't know. We don't know what other people are going through. And so many times, we, we of course, know exactly what we're going through, and that's a big thing in our minds. But we might not even know what our brother or sister's going through. And so when we start to compare, we're actually comparing what we're going through to what we perceive that they're going through or not going through. Yeah, that's and it may be 
that I, I think I'm going through all this hard thing. And so I'm throwing a pity party for me over here. Oh, poor me. Woe is me. When my brother or sister over there is actually struggling more than I am, but I just don't see it or I don't know it. And so I end up in having all this self-pity when I need to be helping my brother out. Um, and you think about actually what happened with Peter and John. John, according, again, according to tradition, would have been the last of the apostles to die. All the other 11 died a martyr's death, and John is the one who dies, but he's in exile on Patmos, at least the last time we see him in Revelation. And you think about, those are just different kinds of challenges. To be crucified, if that's what happened to Peter, I can't imagine the difficult the difficulty that that would be. But you think about John, on the other hand, to be the last guy standing in some ways and to watch all of your friends die off one by one and to be an old man there at the end. I mean, in his letters, first to third John, you know, he talks, he calls himself the elder at different times that he's kind of this, this older guy which is harder, you know, to be crucified earlier or to have to go to, to watch all that? Well, don't compare them. <laughs> They're both hard in their own ways. And the point is not to say one's more difficult than the other. The point is saying we need to follow Jesus and he'll take care of us through whatever difficulty we have to face. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if uh, I think that's kind of definitely a struggle for a lot of people to to see what you're going through and, and maybe see people aren't going through as much as me. And so that's, that's really difficult for me, but there's actually, if I understand correctly, what the Hebrew author is doing, there's actually a comparison that the Hebrew author brings up that Christians need to keep in mind in in Hebrews 12. Uh, And so in Hebrews 12, after he gets done talking about the, the faith that all these different people have in, uh, in Hebrews 11, and then he brings it all to a close at the beginning of Hebrews 12. Uh, he says in verse one, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. And he says this, here's the comparison that the Hebrew author wants the the Christians that are suffering, because that's a lot of the context of Hebrews that they're going through persecution and suffering. Here's what they want. He wants them to compare themselves to consider him who endured from sinners, such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And so it's interesting. The Hebrew author says, think about Jesus. Look at all the things that you're going through and look at Jesus. You haven't died yet. (laughs) Jesus died. You haven't shed your own blood. Jesus shed his blood and the things that he went through. And he goes on to talk about, Uh, I think the purpose of why persecutions and sufferings come, which is similar to James, what James brings up in the first chapter, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. But he, the author here, refers to it as discipline and going through discipline and the purposes of discipline. And, And so in verse 11, so we don't read the whole chapter, verse 11, he says, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. And then he gives the admonition, therefore, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. And he says in verse 15, I think this is really a a big danger that comes from comparing your suffering to others. In verse 15, he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by many become defiled. I think that that's definitely a huge danger of comparing your suffering 
with other people, you can become bitter very quickly whenever you mm-hmm. think yeah. it's just me. It, it, I'm the only one. I, I'm suffering more than everyone else. And you look at all these other people that have easy lives and oh, why, why don't they have a hard life like me? Um, and I think those are maybe some helpful things that, that the, the author brings up here. You haven't really, in the grand scheme of things, you haven't suffered anywhere near as much as Jesus did. And also, you need to be careful because you're going to destroy yourself. You're going to destroy others with this bitterness that comes up. That's a great point, Jonathan. I'm glad you brought that up. And it's also interesting. This comes right on the heels, of course, of Hebrews 11, um, where he's just given them a rundown of the people who have also stood by faith. And it's bookended by the need for endurance. In chapter 10, he said, like, you guys used to be doing really well, but now you need to hang in there. Look at all these other people who live by faith. And again, he's not trying to get them to like say, oh, I don't know if Moses really suffered like, no, but like, look at what they did by faith. You're not alone. Uh, You know, you were talking about that, that we can just feel so sorry for ourselves. I think about Elijah after the Mount Carmel showdown and he goes out and Jezebel says, you know, you're a dead man by this time tomorrow. And he just asks God, like, just take my life. Like I'm the only one left. Nobody else cares. And God is really patient with him. And he says, okay, first of all, you need to get some eat, some, some food, and you need to get some rest. <laughs> um, which is really good advice when we're feeling discouraged is just make sure that those things are taken care of. Um, but then he, he tells him, I've got 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And again, we're, when we're being tempted to have a pity party, we need to realize we're not the only ones trying to do what's right. And we're not the only ones suffering for it. Um, another passage that I really like to that effect is at the very end of First Peter, where he's writing to Christians who are suffering. It's a big theme of this letter. But at the very end of that letter in First Peter 5 and uh, verse 8 and 9, First uh, Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Um, so he said, you're not alone. You're not the only one suffering the same. They might not be doing the same exact thing you're going through, but the same kinds of suffering that you're facing, the same kinds of temptation from the devil, other people are going through that too. So don't, don't think you're the only one. And that's, that's a great comfort when we're suffering is to know, even if they don't completely understand we're all going through something difficult. And look, and look at the comfort in verse 10. God promises that he never fails in his promises. In verse 10, he says, we're still in 1 Peter 5, he says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Mm-hmm. That is where our comfort will take us. I'm, I'm sorry, where yeah. our will take us, being comforted by that. That's right. And, and you know, so much of our comfort has to come back to focusing on God and not on ourselves. Um, I think that one really important um, verse to keep in mind is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Um, flipping over there real quick. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. And this is right after talking about examples in the Old Testament of people. Uh, While you're going there, Stephen, and looking up that, that verse... It's so hard to do that, isn't it, though? Because we feel and see ourselves, and we don't see God, and this material world takes over our focus. Mm -hmm. It is hard, but it's not impossible. Go ahead. 
Yeah. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And I think it's really helpful to remember that God knows what each person can handle. It may be that I'm going through something that's really hard for me that may not be all that hard for somebody else. And it may be that whatever that other person is going through, I might think, oh, that's not that bad. But for them, it is like really hard. Maybe it's their first time facing a certain kind of loss or whatever. And we just need to be compassionate and remember God knows what we can handle. And God won't let us be tempted beyond our ability, but he will provide the way of escape. And that, he does it for every person because um, we're all going to suffer in different ways and be tempted in different ways. And we need to be really focused on God. They're like, okay, here's what I'm going through. But God is faithful. God is faithful. So, Stephen, in that verse there, he's talking about trials, right? He's talking about physical things that are going, but he uses the word temptation. Why is the word temptation tied in with that? What, 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 where's that connection? Yeah, I mean, there are several places in the New Testament where that word is used to refer to different kinds of trials. Um, some of them are what we would call temptations, where we're like, being lured by our own desires, like James 1 talks about, to do something evil. And others are more like trials, like things that happen to us, like persecution or ridicule or um, just sickness and things that like aren't our fault, but things that happen to us. But all of that is kind of lumped into this idea of a trial or a temptation. And our Bibles use, I think it's generally the same word, the same Greek word, that sometimes it's translated temptation Sometimes it's translated trial, depending on the context, but it's still that same idea of just like we're under pressure, right. whether it's trying to resist something that I want to do or whether I'm trying to get through something difficult, but God is faithful in all of those circumstances. Right. So as we think about this, um, any other comments on that first one comparing our, our suffering? Uh, let's talk a little bit about kind of the flip side of that coin, comparing our blessings. Um, and I want to use an illustration from Genesis 29 uh, to go back to the example of Rachel and Leah. I think this is a really interesting story here at the end. And this is the naming of the first few sons of Jacob that would be kind of written in the history of Israel. Um, there's, there's a sense in which when we read those names, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, we're reading a story. Um, because of the way that they were named. Um, so, so before you read that, just for those that might have just come in, we are looking at the dangers of comparing ourselves with others. And and so now we, we just finished talking about comparing ourselves with regards to suffering. Now we're going to look at comparing ourselves with blessings. Now that could go two ways. We can say, oh, they have more blessings than me, or we could boast and brag i've got more than everybody else so i don't know where you're going with first but right i mean there's two sides of that coin right i think we'll kind of see both of them here um here we have a very dysfunctional family uh, where jacob uh has taken two wives which is something that uh we don't ever see as a good thing even in the old testament in genesis 29 and verse 31 when the lord saw that leah was hated he opened her womb but rachel was barren and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, saying, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, now my husband will love me. And so 
obviously Leah is in a tough spot here. She is not loved by her husband, Jacob, but now she has a son and thinks, all right, now he's going to love me. And so she names her firstborn son, Reuben, which means see a son. And it looks like she's still disappointed. She really wants this blessing of the love of her husband, which is a reasonable blessing to want. I mean, that's a pretty foundational thing. And so she thinks, well, now he'll love me, but look what happens next. In verse uh, 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, uh, which sounds like the Hebrew word for heard, like God has heard me. So apparently Jacob still doesn't love her. And so the second son is named Simeon. God has now heard me and now my husband's going to love me. Verse 34 Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi, which sounds like the word for attached. And so three times she is just like longing for this blessing and thinks each time, oh, well, now give him another son. Now he'll love me. But it looks like by the end of this, she doesn't receive that blessing that she was just longing for so much. And I think there's something different about the fourth son. Look, look at what happens here. In verse 34, again, or excuse me, verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Uh, Judah means praise. And so she says, this time I'm going to praise the Lord. And, and I think this, we do see a shift in her attitude here. That instead of saying, I'm just going to be totally bent on what I don't have, she's saying, I'm going to praise God for what I do have. And he's given me these four sons. And praise God for that. And there's a powerful lesson for us in that, is that in this situation with Rachel and Leah, all they could see initially was what they didn't have. What did Leah have well, in this situation, we're focused a lot on Leah, right? So what did Rachel have that Leah didn't have? The love of Jacob. Yeah, Jacob loved Rachel and not Leah. But what did Leah have that Rachel wanted? Children. Children, right? And so, like, here's a situation where, like, both people can be kind of miserable because all they can see is the blessing they don't have. They don't see the blessing they do have. Now, again, this is a terrible family example. Like, this should not be the way it is. But do you see the lesson on contentment here? When we start to compare our blessings and miss the blessings we actually have, it just messes us up. And so I love what she says there with Judah. This time I will praise the Lord. Um, so a similar point here to the point we made before, we don't know what other people are suffering. And we also don't know the blessings in other people's lives. We also don't know the timing of those blessings. Sometimes we're, we're, we get jealous because somebody has a blessing in their season of life that we really want right now, but we don't know what they went through to get to that point in their life. And we don't know what other sufferings or challenges might come with that blessing. Um, I mean, this was something I struggled with for years when I was single is like, I really want to be in a relationship. I really want to be married. And I was seeing my friends getting married and like all these things happening. It's just so easy to fall into jealousy with that. And I didn't know what all they were going through. And I didn't know what all was happening with them. 
And I needed to be more grateful and content. And the thing is, even when we are married or at later stages of our life, we may end up in other stages where we're feeling less content because we're focusing on what other people have and what we don't have. And so the key is just contentment is being grateful for what God's already given us. Um, so that, that's just really important. What other thoughts do you guys have on like, comparing our blessings, this thought? There's, um, and I don't know if it's, if Paul is specifically talking about it with, um, with Timothy, but in first Timothy, I think that there's a helpful um, maybe principle that Paul brings up at the end of the letter in first Timothy six, um, especially focusing on that idea of you talking about being content with what you have. Um, Paul definitely talks about that with, with Timothy. And so in first Timothy six, verse six, Starting, he said, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, will we be content? And then I think this verse, verse nine is it really kind of verse nine and 10 really kind of describe the effects of this type of attitude of wanting, wanting more or wanting what someone else has and not realizing the things that you do have. And, and this is how Paul describes it. In verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Um, and maybe it's not exactly the same as what you're talking about of, of comparing your blessings to someone else, but this idea of uh, generally when you compare what I have with someone else's blessings, what you're thinking is I don't have as much as them or, or, or I don't have exactly what they have and I want what they have. And I think that's a similar principle here in first or first Timothy six of this, this desire to become rich or to gain more. If you're just content with what you have, like Paul, Paul said, well, we've decided in verse eight, if we have food and clothing, that's good enough. We're content with that. Um, but this desire of needing more and wanting more, he describes that as, as falling into a snare, um, being senseless and being consumed with harmful desires. And, and look around. There are lots of people who have been falling away from the faith. Many have wandered away from the faith because of these types of things. And, and what have they gotten? They've gotten many more. They've pierced themselves with many pangs or they've gotten more pains in their life. And that's kind of the nature of that type of mentality of if you're always wanting something else or something more that someone else has, you're never satisfied. And so it's really kind of just a, a vicious cycle that you can fall into of just constantly hurting yourself. Um, and, and once you get to that next level, now you're looking at somebody who's on the next level in your mind and you want to get to that next level, that next level, but just being content with your blessings and not looking out and comparing it, it's more peaceful. It's more joyful to live a life like that. Um, and it's, it's, it's really easy to think that way. If you force yourself to think that way, cause it's easy, it's easy for me to look out and see how other people's lives are working because I know all the deep, dark secrets of my life and the things that are going on in my life, like you were talking about, but I don't know all the details of everyone else's life. And so I see, wow, their life looks like, looks like it's going great when maybe like you said, it's not. But if I sit down and think about my life and the blessings that I have in my life and just like start writing down a list of all the things in my life, it's really overwhelming of all of the good happening for me and my life and the blessings that are there. Rather than looking at, let me hypothetically assume what's going on in this person's life and compare the hardships in my life to the, the fantasy life that I've created for this other person. If you're joining yeah. us 
on a Facebook page. I just want to remind people to go ahead and give us their, your comments and questions. If you're coming in through the Zoom app on BibleQuest.tv, give us your comments and questions as well. Um, trying to watch what comments are coming in. And someone said, you don't look like Scott Smeltzer there, Stephen. <laughs> and I just want to clarify that as to why you don't. Everyone knows that you're not uh, Scott Smeltzer because we're, we're still broadcasting on Scott's Facebook page without Scott being here. But uh, okay, I'd thanks, Scott. Here, but <laughs> yeah, let me let me also just say thank you to Jeff. He was he was complimenting my my brick wall back here. See, don't compare yourself to that brick wall. I mean, like you might, your wall might not be as nice as Jonathan's brick wall. Yeah, so. but we don't see the bars on this this side of the brick. Oh no, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And we will not be yeah. wanting to compare ourselves. Gonna go preach to the spirits in prison over there. So. Yeah. yeah. No, but, you know, Jonathan, you're making a great point. And I think another illustration of this that we so easily fall into discontentment, I think about David um, with his son with Bathsheba. Um, it's interesting that when Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and the Lord speaking to Nathan says, I, I would have given you as much more, you know, in, that par in the story that Nathan told David, there's this guy who has all these sheep, you know, but the one sheep he wants is the one sheep that the poor guy has got, you know, and so he takes the poor man's sheep for his, his guest and kills that sheep. Um, and, and wow, the ability that we have to ignore our blessings because of the one thing that we don't have um, is, is frightening and it can lead us into sin. Um, so we've got to really be on guard uh, against those temptations. Any other comments you guys have on the comparing uh, blessings or sufferings front before we move to the next one? All right. Um, so we take this to kind of the spiritual side of things. Um, look over at Second Corinthians chapter ten. Uh, when we talk about comparing our spirituality, uh, this is another big challenge. And, and what's interesting is this is a challenge uh, where pride can really creep into spiritual people. There's some kinds of sins that don't really flourish among spiritual people because they're viewed as bad. But pride can really be one of them. Mm -hmm. And in Second Corinthians chapter ten. Um, in verse 12, Paul's talking about these false teachers who have come in, and one of their big tactics has been to tear Paul down and to build themselves up by comparing. And so what he says is this in, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. So Paul says, like, this is, a, this is a game of futility when you're trying to, like, have this spiritual pecking order and, like, oh, well, I'm better than Paul. Uh, Paul can't speak real well was one of the things that they were saying and trying to compare themselves. And he's like, that's ignorant thinking. Yep. And, again, we come back to this point. We don't know other people's sufferings. We don't know other people's blessings. And guess what else we don't know? We don't know how well people are doing spiritually. We can see some fruit from their lives. But man, when we try to create a, a, a system of who's the greatest, we're getting into really dangerous territory and, and, and we're, we're letting our pride get the better of us because this is what's really a challenge. And I'll just say, I mean, like we're, we're ministers of the gospel here. We need to be careful of this because this is easy for preachers to do. This is easy for Christians to do. Um, I'm looking right at myself when I talk about this because there have been times where I find myself being jealous of somebody's ability or I find myself being frustrated because I don't have the opportunities that somebody else has. 
And that's a scary place to be when we start to kind of try to compare ourselves and, oh, well, they're so much better or, you know, or, oh, I'm so much better than so-and-so, you know, and like, shame on us, um, shame on me when we get into that kind of thinking. So, so here Paul says, you know, like that's, that's ignorant thinking. If you compare yourselves by yourselves, by one another, uh, you're without understanding. What are some other ways that comparing ourselves spiritually might be a, a danger? Do you have thoughts on that or other examples? Yeah, I mean, I think there's the, the really famous one that I think pops into, into my head is uh, Luke 18, the Pharisee and the tax collector, when Jesus tells yes. that simple story of, of the man. One, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and a tax collector. And Pharisees, I think, were kind of notorious for this type of attitude of, of wanting to compare spirituality and like, well, no, you, you call me, you call me father. He, you, you know, I'm holy. I tithe, I tithe, you know, twice a week. I, I give a, t- or a tenth of all that I get and all this kind of attitude that you see in, in Luke 18 and Jesus's attitude towards that. Um, because I, I wonder, maybe trying to break this down a little bit more, what's the motivation of comparing yourself to someone else on a spiritual level, usually? What do y'all think? Well, why would somebody want to compare themselves to someone else? To make themselves look feel, Yeah, you want to make yourself feel better. So you're either looking yeah. at how you're better or how they're worse. Yeah, yeah, to gain credibility and that kind of thing, or, or make yourself look better. But you look at that really simple story, how does Jesus feel, uh, how credible, how much better does that type of person look when they're comparing themselves to someone else? Jesus says, no, he's, he's not justified. And so that right. doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work. But the guy who's not comparing himself to anyone, but is just begging for mercy from God, the, the tax collector in that story, he's the one who goes justified in, in Jesus's place. And so it, it, a lot of these are the, the purpose and the, the motivation behind these comparisons they're not accomplished by comparing yourself to other people or to other things. Um, and I think that's really interesting in thinking about that. Yeah. You know, I, I think about first Corinthians 12, the body analogy, right. Um, and it's really interesting the things that Paul points out. And again, this is the church at Corinth again, that their big struggle was with this kind of thing. Well, Oh, I'm of Paul. Oh, I'm of Apollos, you know, and, and building themselves up by who they're following but then that applying to each other as well. Um, in, in the body analogy, he says, um, look, picking up in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 14, 1 Corinthians 12, 14, Paul says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So in this first part, he talks about the danger of excluding ourselves because we think we're not as helpful as some other part of the body. Oh, well, they have this ability or they have this opportunity or they have this character trait and I'm just here and oh, poor me, you know, you're not any less a part of the body. No, don't exclude yourself by comparing your abilities or opportunities to somebody else. So that's the first analogy he makes. He says that we need everybody. You don't want the whole body to all have the same ability. It's going to be different among the members. But the next point he makes in verse 21 is the flip side of that, the pride side of that. 
Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And so the two dangers are excluding ourselves or excluding other people. Well, I'm, I'm an I, you know, I'm, I'm important. And again, when we start to compare our roles, it's like, well, yeah, the eye is not going to look like the foot, thankfully, <laughs> you know, uh, they're going to serve very different purposes and it wouldn't be effective if they did the same thing. So we need to recognize the differences and be grateful for those because God designed the body of Christ to have different roles that are not meant to be compared, that are not meant to be ranked. They're meant to work together so that we can accomplish God's purposes. Yeah, and uh, the parable of the ten talents doesn't relate to a comparison, but it relates in a sense that each person has their own ability that the Lord gives. And the one that received the five talents, there's another fellow who received the two talents, this is Mark, uh, 20, Matthew 25, and then one received the one talent. They, number, they didn't complain that, oh, this guy only, I only got two and he got five. That's besides the point, but they didn't do that. But we need to recognize that whatever talents we have, let's use that to the best of our ability. That's what the Lord is expecting, rather than saying, oh, I wish I would have gotten more. Yeah. Amen. Because you can almost see the one talent guy saying like, well, I would have done more if I'd gotten five talents, you know, like, you know, you uh, can almost make that case because he was afraid of losing that one. So he's, I'm going to go bury this one ends up losing it anyway, because he buried it, but he didn't use the talent that he had. Maybe he was a little jealous and maybe he didn't want to lose anything. That's a good point. Yeah. And you can see that. I mean, and I think about Jesus words to Peter applying to that guy too. What is that to you? You follow me. You know, if we, if we can just not ignore each other, but not try to compare ourselves with other people and just say, God's given me what he's given me, and he expects of me what he expects of me. I'm not worried about everybody else. I'm worried about following Jesus with what he's given me to work with. Mm-hmm. And if we can focus on that, we'll use our talent. You know, we'll be a better part of the body and be using everything God's given us because we're grateful, not because we're trying to be proud or draw attention to ourselves. Um, so there's, there's, two, there's both of those extremes we got to guard against in this situation. And one thing as it relates to that, that story, the parable of the talents, that's really interesting. When, when I read that story, you see that there are the three categories and it seems like, but they really break down into two. There's, there's the category, what it seems like in the original, the three different men, one gets five talents, one gets two talents, one gets one talent. And it seems like um, that that those are three separate groups, but it actually breaks down into two. There's the two, the guy that receives the five, the guy that receives the two, and then the guy that receives the one. Because the two people in the beginning that received the five and received the two, they get the exact same commendation from the master when he comes back. And even though, I guess, the amount wise that the, that each one received and produced is the guy that got five and got five more who had 10 total. He had more than the guy who had four total, but the accommodation is the same. And that accommodation is Matthew 25 in, um, in verse 21. And then, and in verse 23, it's word for word, exactly the same what the master says. And sometimes when you, like me, sometimes I feel like I identify um, more with the two talent guy than the five talent guy. Um, and so I can 
would go out and see the five talent guy and think, man, I'm not doing as much as him. But the master is just as pleased and just it has the exact same reward for the two talent guy as he does for the five talent guy. Excellent yeah. point. Excellent yeah. point. Excellent. Yeah. And, we, and we can't sell ourselves short either and say, oh, well, I wasn't given five talents, so I don't have to do as much. But if we can focus on like, here's what God has given me. I'm going to do the very best I can with what I've got and, and not be jealous of the five talent guy or feel somehow like, well, I, I only made two talents instead of making five more. So I must be a lesser Christian. Well, no, like Mm -hmm. your point's really good, Jonathan, that these are the same, same commendation. God doesn't expect of us more than, than we've been given. Mm -hmm. You know, let's talk about one more area. We just got five more minutes here because um, this is a real danger for us too. And that's comparing ourselves to the world. And actually the, the, the analogy I had here was the one that you went to, uh, Jonathan, earlier, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, they're in Luke 18 because it is so exactly what's happening in his prayer, which of course, it's kind of ironic that he's praying to God with this bad attitude. And this again just shows us this flourishes among spiritual people. Um, where uh, Jesus is telling this parable, Luke 18, uh, verse 9, he says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And you see it right there, right? That, that's the comparison that we're talking about. And he goes on, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so... Here, you mentioned earlier in the context of comparing ourselves among religious people. Oh, I'm tithing. I'm doing all these things. But we can especially do it with the world. Like I'm not like the unjust, the adulterers, the extortioners. Because here's the thing. Like no matter how bad we get, what can we always find somewhere in the world? Somebody worse. <laughs> Somebody's worse, right? And so like, I mean, this even happens in prison. Like you ask one guy, well, what are you in for? Well, at least I'm not in here for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And people it, constantly comparing. And if, if the only standard you have is people that are worse than you, well, you can pretty much always find somebody who's doing worse than you. That, that, that's not a very high standard to set. And so we just have to set our, our sights higher because unfortunately what happens is if Christians are always just looking at the world and saying, we're better than you guys, is the world getting better or getting worse? Uh, it's getting worse. It's getting worse all the time. We can see this. You don't have to look very far to see that. But here's the thing. If like the world is going down and we're just trying to maintain kind of a certain distance from the world and as the world gets worse, what's happening to us? Yeah. We could be going down. Staying. We could be just getting worse just a few steps behind the world. And that's often what happens is religious people are getting worse, but as long as they stay holier than thou, then we feel good about it. And Jesus says, you can't do that. Um, We have to humble ourselves before God and hold to his standards. You know, I think about the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3, um, where they thought that they were so spiritual. 
and so good. And that spiritual blindness is like super dangerous when we think that we're so great. And he says, for you say, this is Revelation three seventeen. for you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Um, we've got to be people who are not just comparing ourselves to other people and thinking, oh, I'm so rich. But we're looking at Jesus and saying, I'm, I'm in need, just like everybody else. What are y'all's thoughts on the other dangers of comparing ourselves to the world? Well, it can, it can create an, uh, which we've already said, but it can create an arrogance um, uh, in, in the life of a Christian and, and comparing to the rest of the world. Um, and I think that maybe gets a little touched on in, um, in maybe James 2. Um, it's a little bit of a different kind of context in comparing whenever a rich man comes in and a poor man comes in, but it's the same type of, the same type of attitude of, of I'm better than this other person, um, or I'm better than the rest of the world. And, um, James gives a simple reminder, um, in, in James two, in that context, James two, verse five, he says, listen, my beloved brothers has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him. And a similar thing that Paul brings up in first Corinthians, um, chapter one to a group of, a group of people who thought really highly of themselves in comparison to other people in, in the, in their church and in the world. And he says in first Corinthians one twenty six. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards, not many powerful, not many of noble birth, but God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong, what was low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And so his point to the Corinthians is, is remember, you guys were nothing um, just like the rest of the world, um, but God showed mercy on you. And it wasn't so that you should go, go out and boast to the rest of the world and look how great I am. It was so that God could have the glory. Um, and, that's that, right. and that can just be a huge danger. When you start comparing yourself to the rest of the world, Christians are called out. We are a, a, a chosen people, a royal nation, a holy priesthood, like in first in Peter two, but we were sinners just like the rest of the world. We were unwise. We were low and God saved us. And so that's for God's glory, not for our glory. And if we're not careful, we can make it for our glory and not for God's. That's right. So I just come back to the text we started in where, where, where Peter, you know, is like, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus response, you know, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Um, that's the bottom line is if we fix our eyes on Jesus and are not worried so much about what everybody else is doing. We're worried about helping people, but we're not trying to compare ourselves. That's really the way it will affect every area of our service. It will make us more productive. It will make us more content. It will make us more motivated, more grateful. Um, It'll affect our work with our brethren. We'll be less quick to fight about pecking order. We'll just be more humbly serving. It will motivate us in evangelism because we're not trying to compare ourselves and say, well, at least we're better than so-and-so. Well, we'll be reaching out to so-and-so, um, trying to help them uh, to, to be forgiven like we've been. Um, and so I just think this, uh, and again, I'm preaching to myself, like if we can humble ourselves like this, not to compare ourselves, it will it'll transform us. Exactly. Well, guys, we just went past the, the time, 45 minutes, we're past it. Uh, thank you, Stephen, for bringing this topic uh, to the forefront and, discussing it today. We want to invite everyone back again uh, next week at Tuesday at two o'clock. 
for the next Tuesday edition of Bible Quest. And let's not let me put a little plug in for Wednesday. I believe Jeff is back on Wednesday. I'm not sure if he's going to be there. Do you know? Well, I'll put a plug. Not sure, in. we'll check with him later. Go to BibleQuest.tv and click on the Wednesday button. Come in on Wednesday too, guys. Thanks an awful lot. Good seeing you, and we'll see you again next week, Lord willing. Thanks, guys. See you guys. Yeah.